Good morning, everybody. Uh, so um, I'm not I'm not preaching, and I know you guys are like probably thrilled by that, but I I'm I'm yeah. You're supposed to go no, but you didn't, and that hurts. Uh, we have a, a wonderful guest speaker, and and actually um, I'll also be gone next Sunday. I'm going to be at the Student Action Summit in Tampa. And we're bringing uh, pastors from across the country to participate as we're launching Turning Point Faith. And uh, we're going we're, we're gonna to take this country back. So, Now, I, I didn't share last week, although I, was supposed, I shared for 10 minutes, supposedly, but it was like 40. Um, but I, I guarantee you, um, the, the person speaking today, you're going to be incredibly blessed by. And before I have him come out, I do want to share with you um, I was gone this week. Every summer, we try to get to my in-law's lake house for a little bit of rest and relaxation. Uh, my kids love to wakeboard and water ski, um, and, and they, my wife loves to do that. I, I don't do any of it. Um, they love the lake. I hate lakes. I like oceans. I don't like water that doesn't have movement. I'm weird that way, you know? And, and I, I literally go up there uh, to be with my family, and I... Um, and, and they'll testify to this. Every year I've gone up, it's always some sort of a spiritual battle. Something intense is happening. Last year, um, I, th- I think we were facing, yeah, it was, it was the week where I was going to violate the restraining order from the county. That was a fun vacation. <clears throat> uh, you know, wondering, well, is this going to be the last time we're going to be together as a family? You know, all that stuff. And that's always what it's like up at the lake house. And this this one was no different. It was an intense week, um, and I'm not going to go through all the stuff. It's a multi-fronted battle, lots of stuff happening, all kinds of things. Um, but as I looked out at the lake, and my kids were coming in at different times, surprising um, my, my wife and, and, and my in-laws, um, I was looking at them having so much fun, and I was watching my grandkids having fun. And it was an intense battle for me. Uh, and and I looked out, and I, it was just a reminder that this is why we're doing what we're doing is, is for our kids and our grandkids. It's not about us. And I'm, 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 not, I'm not quitting. Just, there's just no way. And, and the, other, the other part about it is there's too much at stake. And I, and I get tired in the work, but not of it. And God gives you rest when you need it, and he blesses you. And, and granted, the schedule's crazy. I don't think I've ever been this busy, but I've never had more peace in the midst of it. And I'm afforded the ability to do it because, without exception, this is the bravest congregation on the planet. People across this, you clap for yourselves because this, <laughs> this, it's like a, a pebble in a pond and the ripples have gone out across the country. And people are moved by what you're doing. And you're going to be maligned and misrepresented. But the reality of it is, this, this is a room full of people who love liberty and want to contend for it because it's God's gift to mankind. And you understand that. And now these mama bears are starting to attend the city, uh, the uh, school board meetings, and you're, you're standing firm. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's a recall effort under, uh, underway, which is kind of exciting. <clears throat> oh, got a call from the attorneys this week our attorneys, and they said it's our responsibility to let you know if uh, there's been an offer made of a settlement. We, it's by law we're supposed to put that before you. And the county has offered you, and they laid it out. And they offered money. <laughs> and we're in the discovery phase. And they offered us money. 
to go away. I'm glad you guys are so fired up. And I said, would you let him know as your client? Not only is my answer no, but I'm insulted by your offer. So full speed ahead. They, they're messing with us and we're done with it. And, and all of us have to make our stand. And it's critical, just look out at the lake and see the kids and the grandkids playing. It's for them. It's, it's not about your comfort anymore. This is, this is critical. And all of us have to make that stand. And you have been, and I'm blessed. Now, um, our guest speaker. I met this man, and it was interesting. I had just gotten to know Charlie, and I had joined the Charlie Kirk Crazy Train. <clears throat> and, uh, and it was. And, and I had been doing a bunch of stuff. Didn't have much sleep. I had about two hours sleep, and Charlie calls me. He says, Rob, um, can you get out to Phoenix? We're wheels up at 5 a.m., 4.30, 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. Can you get out to Phoenix? I want you to go to Mar-a-Lago to meet the president. I'm like, yeah, all right, you know. <clears throat> so, you know, the staff is like, okay, change this, rearrange that, close the schedule, like get over to Phoenix. I'm tired. There's no sleep because we're supposed to go to dinner that night. I meet the folks whose plane we're going to be taking. And it was kind of an interesting dinner, and they were talking most of the time, and I was just quiet. I can't sleep at the table, so. And then, and then uh, we, we leave, and, and they go to, all of them go to their hotels or their houses, and I go to the Stiff Neck Inn. And they're like, yeah, take an Uber to the FBO, which is the private jet place. And I'm like, an Uber at four in the morning? And I'm waiting. There's no Ubers. So I'm like, hey, somebody's got to pick me up, Charlie. So they come by to pick up the guy at the Stiff Neck Inn. And I, and I get in the car, and we get there. And everyone's tired. We all pile in this plane. It was a nice plane. And, and we start taking off from Phoenix to West Palm Beach to, to go to Mar-a-Lago. And I, I'm excited. I mean, wow, this is a nice plane. And everyone falls asleep, and I'm like ready for a long winter's nap. And then my seat shakes, and I turn around, and, and it's the, the guy whose plane we're in. And he says, Rob, you awake? <laughs> it's one of those moments where you're thinking of lying. <clears throat> and I go, yeah, no, I'm, I'm up. What's up? He goes, I, can I talk to you? I go, yeah. And I, from, from Phoenix to West Palm Beach, I was taken on a journey of a story that would mesmerize all of you. I can't go into detail on it because it was a private conversation. A lot of things shared that were really intense. And I'm listening to it going, I don't know if I buy all this. Until I got to the point of how he came to the Lord and I watched him start to cry. And I realized right then that this guy's legit. And, and it's, it's very involved. I mean, he works for a, a government agency. I'll leave it at that. He's also a medical doctor. He's also in the military. He's a, 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 an officer in the army. And I, I'm not going to share any of that. That's, that's his world. I know all of it, though. <laughs> but then we land, and I'm still not sure about this. And I know he's kind of checking me out to see if I'm legitimate. And I'm kind of checking him out to see if he's legitimate. Because we're all wondering what we're doing. Because we're all on the Charlie Kirk crazy train. <clears throat> and we're going to meet the president. And we're at the table. And I'm with him. And the president comes through and Charlie says, Rob, Keith, come on, let's go meet the president. 
And I'm like, okay. And I get up and Keith goes, the Lord's saying no. I'm supposed to stay here. And I'm looking at him going, dude, you got a bat phone I don't have? I didn't hear him say that. It's the president, get up. He's like, no, I'm not supposed to go. I'm like, it was your plane. We flew all the way out here and you're not even, he goes, I'm not supposed to do it. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go meet the president, Mr. Spiritual. And I, <clears throat> and I meet the president, it's really cool. And, and I come back, I sit down and the, you know, he's, his, his wife's lovely, she's there. It's just a delightful time. And the president's gone, but then he comes back through unannounced. And as he's coming through, <clears throat> a guy's in tow with him. And uh, Keith nudges me. He says, that's why I'm here. The Lord just told me I'm, I'm here for that guy. I'm like, who's that? And he goes, that's Robert O'Brien. And I'm Googling it. I'm like, oh, head of the NSA or something, something like that. I'm like, you're here for him? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, sure you are. And <laughs> I kid you not, Robert O'Brien turns and sees him. And he starts walking over to our table. And he looks at Keith and he goes, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm on the Charlie Kirk crazy train. He didn't say that, but he was saying, I'm here with Charlie. And he goes, we need to talk. At that moment, I'm like, dude, you're for real. <laughs> and they go over and they talk. And he comes over, he sits down, he says, now I know I'm here. Can you tell me? He goes, no, I can't tell you. <laughs> I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> and we became instant friends at I love him as always my own brother. And when we started the live stream, uh, I was a penny looking for change for people who were willing to stand up and give us accurate information of what the heck was going on. He was there from day one. And let me tell you something. Yeah, you, well, you'll clap after this. He was there from day one and everything he shared with us has come to fruition and it has all been true. He is a great gift to this fellowship and I wanna welcome Dr. Keith Rose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sit on it. Yeah, if you guys knew me, you wouldn't be standing. <laughs> My mom's probably at home laughing, hysterically. <laughs> at you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, you're going to tell that story, Rob. I'm going to tell them the other side of that story. <laughs> when I met Rob and I was in the back, I was exhausted too. I had been working a lot, a lot different places, and I wanted to sleep. And I was so thankful when we took off because I was in the back seat and I was just going to recline and closed my eyes because everyone else was crashing and God goes, I hear someone, well, actually he didn't say anything, I hear someone laughing. And I look and I'm like, who's laughing at me? That's God. He's like, you think you're gonna sleep? He goes, I want you to talk to that guy. You gotta understand something. When I say this and God talks to me, it makes, sounds really weird coming out of my mouth because for 42 years, I think God's, Biggest challenge was probably when do I smite him and get him off the planet? Actually, that was me thinking in my mind, God would have an infinite grace. So when I'm talking like this, I'm not a spiritual person. Oh my gosh. I'm not, I'm not a religious person, but I am a Christ follower. And I came to the party late. And parents that pray for your kids, it only took my mom 42 years for God to, 
tell me who he was and way more importantly, who I wasn't. And so when I'm in the plane, after when God rocks your world, trust me, he rocks your world. And, uh, and my world getting rocked is not a very peaceful or pleasant thing to have happen to you. And so when, so when God has my full attention now down the line, so when God laughs at me or tells me to do something, God has a great sense of humor, you do it. So I'm like, really, Lord, I'm going to talk to this guy? Why? Well, what I say, I'll tell you, just wake him up. If you knew my, if you knew my personality, my wife can tell you, I like to isolate because I'm so busy. I'm around so many people. I have to deal with so many personalities that when I'm alone, I want to be alone with my wife, my best friend. Because for a long time, I was alone just with me, and that's not good company. So we're with Charlie and Charlie World, and I love Charlie. He's a godly man and a great man. And, and so I've got to talk to this guy, Rob, and, and I'm thinking, okay, you want me to check him out, make sure this guy's not one of those preachers, you know? <laughs> and so, like, like, I'm any qualified person to tell you if someone's one of those preachers. I'm a preacher's kid. Not the good preacher's kid. You know the preacher's kid, like Rob, I can see it. You know, his kids are here, and they all got girlfriends, and I'm sure their parents, oh, my son's dating the preacher's kid. You know, I was the kind of preacher's kid when I walked in the church... Ladies hid their kids from me. I mean, they're, you're like, dads would pull them aside and like show me their gun or something. I mean, it was terrible. No one wanted their kid to be around me. I mean, I perfected the spitball in Sunday school. That's a true story. It's, it's not, I'm not making that up. I think God had a foreshadowing on my life because I had excellent grouping all the time. Right at the window, you know. I, but, and my parents were awesome parents. They still are. They lived it, they breathed it, they did everything right, and I still said, yeah, okay. I mean, I was living in my head, I was living in this land of good and bad that I understood. Now, I was saved because, I mean, you know, I believe in God, who wants to go to hell, right? But I wasn't all in when it came to me. And fortunately, when I was younger, probably the only thing that kept me out of prison was my parents' faithfulness to that Part of the Bible, it says, don't spare the rod and spoil the child. Because my mom could use a belt like a samurai warrior. <laughs> I mean, I'm not lying to you. She and, and now, I'm, I'm weird. My wife will tell you I'm weird. And I, I see things differently. Maybe that's why I ended up doing what I do. But I've always been able to sense things, understand things. And, you know, God's gifted all of us differently. He gives us this amazing gift and this purpose in our life. And it hits us, and we know it. We can feel it in our conscience. And I had a gift, but I wasn't going to use it for God, really. But my mom was determined I was going to use it for God. And so when I'm a young kid launching spitwads in a perfect grouping at the window, um, you know, you didn't have cell phones back then, but evidently someone had to go and tell the pastor's wife that the pastor's kid was screwing up in Sunday school. You know, I couldn't say snitches get stitches, but I wanted to. And so my mom would just basically come no hesitation, total focus of purpose. Grab me, drag me out, pull out a belt, and beat my butt because I needed it. And mom was like a samurai. I mean, she was like a Jedi with that. That belt was like, you know, she knew. I, I could move and it still hit me every time. In fact, I, I, it worked because I wasn't going to do that anymore. 
But every now and then I would think about doing it because, you know, it's kind of Bart Simpson of preacher's kids. And so I'm thinking about it and my Sunday school teacher would see it. So my mom would suddenly appear in the doorway and she'd just open her purse <laughs> and show me. And I was like, okay, I got it. And it got to the point where my mom didn't even have to open her purse. We'd be in church, I'd be acting up. She'd go, look at her purse. <laughs> I was cooked, I was done, right? So I, could, I had that sixth sense, you know, I didn't want to get beat. And I took that on in my life. So I came from a family that I had no excuse. So when God tells me to talk to Pastor Rob, I'm going to do it because he showed me so much grace in my life. And so I'm talking to Rob, and I don't want to talk to him. God's laughing at me. And it, it turned out great. I heard that same laugh yesterday morning when God woke me up in your beautiful city, way before my alarm was supposed to go off. And just to make sure I understood what he wanted to, he woke me up again this morning at 4.50. And I started to close my eyes and then I hear the laugh and I get up and I go have my quiet time. And I'm like, Lord, I gotta speak. This is the third time I've spoken in like less than 24 hours. I gotta speak one more time and I'm not a speaker. This is the first time I've ever spoken at a church outside of my own where I've done once just when they asked me to talk or something like that. So, um, I was like, Lord, I, I can't do this. And he's like, bingo, you can't. So why don't you let me do the talking? So this morning, he's going to do the talking, and I pray it, it touches your heart. I pray it touches your heart because I was the worst of the worst. So if you're sitting here today and you think, yeah, well, you don't know my story. I probably don't, but I'll raise you your story and some really bad stuff. And I'm not proud of that because it doesn't say anything about me, but it just says mountains about the grace of God. And a lot of you folks are here today and you're wondering what's going on. I mean, you feel it. You feel what's going on right now. You understand that there is real badness in the world today. You understand that it's not fair. You understand that why are they doing that? Why are they calling good, bad, bad, good? So hopefully today, God gave me something I want to talk to you about, and it might explain it to you, and hopefully it'll pierce your heart, not from me, from the Holy Spirit, because that's the way God talks to us. But he can't talk to us when we're in the way. I love iPads. You can put down your thoughts. Oswald Chambers famously said, and this is a guy that I've been reading, and you ever read it, you want to read someone that's really switched on, he's, he's no longer with us. And he wasn't here that long, by the way. He's got some amazing stuff he writes, and the guy always keeps it biblical. And I will tell you, just as an aside God's putting on my heart, be yourself. If it's not illegal, immoral, as long as it's not unbiblical or unethical, God bless you. Because we're not all the same. I'm thank God we're not all the same because we don't need any more me running around. And if you saw my kids, you'd be like, thank God there's some more of those running around. So yeah, but I mean, God puts some things in our heart that makes us special, but the world wants to tell you, just look at good and bad, just look at right and wrong. And unfortunately the church looks at us and goes, well, I'm not really sure about that. Well, is it unbiblical? Is it unmoral? Is it unethical? And if it's not, why are we getting caught up in that when we have a world and a nation that's burning? 
Oswald Chambers says, seeing is never believing. We interpret what we see in the light of what we believe. When I read that, it really hit me at home because Rob gave you a little bit of my background. My job was to go get things done, create narratives, scenarios, find people, not find people. Whatever my job was, a lot of times I would get it done when I could manipulate and when I could do whatever it took to to create the situation. In fact, I was briefing Congress one time. I was briefing a bunch of stupid people. Well, that's, they're the same, Congress. And, and so, and they asked, well, how did you do X, Y, and Z? And I said, well, sir, I fed their dreams and I starved their fears. You see, Satan wants to do the same thing. He wants to feed your dreams and he wants to starve your fears. He wants to create your reality in your mind instead of God's purpose in your heart. And Christians are dying because of it. I think it says in Ephesians, my children suffer from lack of knowledge. They die from lack of understanding. God's talking to Christians, not non-believers. Because we get so caught up in good and bad and we don't hear Christ talk to us. We don't let the Holy Spirit pierce our heart because we're too caught up in right and wrong based on our definition. Because I had a really jacked up definition of right and wrong. Whatever got the mission done was right. And if you look at it today, just transform it. I have a right because I've been wronged and we're creating victims at a record pace in this nation. You see, as individuals, we don't see life the way it is. We see life the way we are. So you got to get down to the root. And the root you have to start at is the heart. A lot of times we're seeing abortion. We're seeing a lot of gay marriage, you're seeing all kinds of stuff, you're seeing a budget that's out of control, you're seeing the intelligence community spy and do real unscrupulous things, you're seeing a runaway DOJ, and we're going to talk about all the symptoms instead of getting to the root, and the root is the heart. So if you want to save America in 2021, you have to understand what the founders figured out, our founding fathers. It's interesting we call them our founding fathers because the Bible is full of husband, wife, father relationships. We are his sons and daughters. I'm not a, you know, Christian comes from, back in the day, Christians were like little Christ, right? Well, I got a great big Jesus that lives in me. And the only way he can grow is if I die. And I have to die to myself every day. And when you understand that, when you understand the genesis, when you understand the root of where we are as a nation right now, then you can understand how it's going to get fixed. One of my favorite verses in the world is Proverbs 4.23. And let me tell you, I'm going to give you some things out of the Bible and don't glaze over, especially you young folks. Because when I was a kid, someone mentioned the Bible, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Because to me, the Bible was a dead book when it's just the opposite. It's the living word of God. 
And I know it's living. It took me 42 years to figure that out. See, I had great parents. My parents were really smart. They spoke to me in scripture, which I hated. Mom would be like, well, you know what it says. And, and I'm like, yeah, I know what the good book says, mom. And then purse, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it's, but they always did. And then more importantly, though, and hear this, they lived what they spoke of. And I understand this now at 56 years old, that they took the Bible and it was the word of life to them. So they weren't speaking it from a good and bad point of view. They wanted to give me a reference that I could carry the rest of my life. My father gave me a Bible when I went to college and I opened it some, but never really read it until I was 42 years old and God blew me up, literally. And when I opened it, when I was hungry to get in it, I opened it up and I noticed what my dad wrote in there dated 30 years before, or almost 30 years. And it said, son, stay in his word. It floored me. I mean, it did say, son, be a good guy. Don't do evil. Read your Bible. It said, stay in his capitalized word. So I'm going to go to his word. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence. All diligence, for from it flows all the issues of life. Now, I'm going to revert back to my training because I used to train people. I still do. And I make them say it back to me because I want them to understand something so I don't get shot. So if I say something, I want you to repeat it. Repeat it. It's a great way to learn, but more importantly, it's a great way to imprint things on your heart. So you watch over your heart with diligence because what? All things. All the issues of life come from it. It doesn't say all the issues of life come from your head. They come from your heart. And so I wanted to unpack that. And then I thought about it. You know, we look at actions as only good and bad and not the actual source of the action. This politician did good. This politician did bad. This person did this. this now, what is the source? What's their driver? When I met my wife for the second time, um, first time we met, we dated, uh, I was an epic dumpster fire. Not a good dumpster fire, the kind of dumpster fire that probably has fecal material and then catches on fire. You know, I was, I was bad. And so my wife, well, it wasn't my wife at the time, I didn't talk to her for six years. And the next time I met her, by God's grace on me, not her, I wasn't the same person. And she looked at me and she said, show me, don't tell me. See, she didn't need my words. She needed my actions. And my actions can only come from my heart. That's why when Jesus came, he said, you sin in your attitude. And it manifests in your actions. So what's your attitude and how do you control it? What does it mean? Well, then you go to Matthew 22, 36 through 40, and it ties it all together. He's talking, the Lord, and he says, a lawyer asked him a question. The figures, right? The attorney's going to ask the question. And it says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, 
that really struck me because Bible, the Bible is a Bible of sequence. And if you watch it, God will give you the same things over and over and over. And he gives them in a sequence and he does it for a reason. That's why my dad said, stay in his word. And I would encourage all of you not to wait 42 years before you pick it up. So what it's saying here is, love the Lord with all your what's first. Heart, soul, mind. Mind's last. Your mind is going to control your heart. No, your heart should control your mind. But the only way you can have that happen is if you die to yourself. So you have to see what's the second commandment. It says, first it says, this is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. We don't like to talk about prophets much today. We don't like to talk about prophecy. I'm going to explain something to you what prophecy is. Prophecy is not what you're doing, it's what you're going to do. And God lives through it, if your heart is right. But he says, love your, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the first commandment. What's the second commandment? Love your? Okay, wrong. And that's the biggest lie. Because when I read it, I read that too, until I read it. It says, love your neighbor as? So who do you love second? Yourself. Yourself. That blew my mind because how could I love this knowing what I've done? How do we love ourselves? We've got a lot of broken people in this country. I would say we have a pandemic of broken people. Yeah. And broken people break people. Say broken people break people. Hurting people hurt people. So God tells me to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. And the second thing he says is love myself. I can't love myself. Right, but I can love Christ in me. And then I can love my neighbor. A lot of us can't love our neighbor that's screaming at us to put 17 masks on. A lot of us can't love our neighbor when they go, have you got the jab? I can't love that person. Christ in me loves them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love yourself. The only way that works and why God says the law hangs on this, his law. You want to fix things in the United States of America? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Second thing is love yourself. But how do you do that? You do that because you've got to go to a funeral, your own. That's the only way you can love yourself. You ha- can't love me. I can't love Keith Rose. I can love Jesus Christ because he's the image maker. Christ in me. But how do I fit Christ in me? How do I get a great big Jesus in me when I have a massive ego in me? The two don't coexist. I don't see any stickers on cars and stuff doesn't work like that. The only way it works is to die. So today, this sounds really weird in church. I want to kill you. <laughs> you don't know how funny that is. Um, not saying I've ever said that before, and I'm not saying I'm not. But today I want you to go to your own funeral. 
And you'll experience what I experienced, the single greatest thing in your life simultaneously with the single most painful thing in your life. And again, it's revelation or situation. Who watched the fight last night? It was awesome. I watched it. Conor McGregor, I I don't understand McGregor. I kind of do when I was watching him. You know, the guy struts out there. He does his thing and gets destroyed. And my heart went out to him. I turned to my wife and I said, I want to talk to that guy. He's not getting it because afterwards when his legs at like this angle and he's bleeding and his ears bleeding and he's talking smack because he hadn't come to the end of himself. He hadn't died to himself. And he woke up this morning and the first message I was told he sent out was, they need me. He's not dead to himself. And God allowed him to get jacked. And I recognize that. And I want to call him and go, bro, die. Because if you don't, you're going to get the situation, not the revelation. My situation, I can't walk through a metal detector now without it going off. I could walk through it naked and it would still go off. You don't want that. So die. Can you imagine what that guy would be like if the Holy Spirit lit him up? That kind of charisma that God puts in someone and he directs that like a laser beam for the Lord and the kingdom? Are you kidding me? Our scars don't define us. But the world wants to tell you their wounds are not healed yet. You see, you can't see God's glory unless he's inside you. When Christ died and rose again and he's walking, he was so glorified The people that knew him couldn't recognize him until he showed them what? Scars. Not his wounds. And when they saw his scars, they could see his glory. I got a lot of scars inside and out. So I'll show you my scars so you can see his glory. Can you imagine in your life all the problems that you've had if you show your scars and let them see God's glory? Then your excuses then it wouldn't matter if black lives matter because all lives would matter. It wouldn't matter about equity when we have equality because we are all Christ followers. You don't think the Bible talks about it? The Bible's so awesome. It really is. I I was digging through it the other day because... I need it. Colossians 3.11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. God is it. He just covered the whole gamut. Christian, Jew, scathian, those were like the assassin type bad boys and I kind of like that, but you know, means I can't get saved too. Barbarian. A lot of us can identify with barbarian. It doesn't matter. God says it's all, it, all, it all channels through Christ. So how do we do it? It's an easy thing to say. I heard it my whole life. And I hope when I get ready to tell you, I'll help you tie it into what it is. Not really me, but Christ in me. Because remember, God wants to love our neighbor as ourself. He wants to love ourself because Christ is in us. Christ is the image maker. You guys live in California. It's beautiful here. Have you ever seen the moon in the middle of the day? You know how that happens? The moon doesn't have any light. It reflects the sun. You want people to see Christ in you? 
then you reflect the sun. That's what God calls us to. But I got to get God in me. And me and him don't fit. So you have to die to yourself. But I love the Bible because it explains what the image of God is, how the image of God actually dies in you, and how it comes back. Did you know that? First two chapters of Genesis, they're in the garden, right? Adam and Eve. And they have the image of God inside of them. And it's cool. They're in one with God. They're communicating directly with God. Their heart is a garden. And God says, you can eat anything you want. Eat from the tree of of life. But you can't do one thing. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everybody knows the story that happened in chapter 3, right? A snake, of all things, gets Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. You know how she did it? He made her envious. Hey, God doesn't want you to have this. Now, that's in the beginning of the Bible. Are we hearing that today? Um, They don't want you to be fair. They don't want you to be as equal as they are. They don't want you to have privilege. It's an old, old trick. So why don't we pick up on it? It's because we're too busy eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why didn't God want Eve to do that? Is it because he just wanted, I don't want them to do it? No, because he loved them. Because he knew the moment they ate from the knowledge of the tree and good and evil, it would sever the connection and the communication with God between their heart. So the only way their heart could communicate now was with their, the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. So now they're thinking. And when they're thinking, they're in their world. I'm naked. And I can't hear God. I can tell you now that I can hear God, I don't ever want that communication severed. So I'll die to me daily to keep that in my heart. But they severed that communication. And so we understand that. But now how do we get that communication back? It took the second Adam, which was Jesus. You see, the tree of life is where we need to live. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is where the earth wants to keep us. You have a right because you've been wronged. We've got so, we're so caught up in good and bad, the church is having trouble with it. Well, I don't want to judge. Hey, buddy, you're not judging. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Not me, Christ in me. Christ won't let me judge. If you knew my life, I don't judge. I love. I don't have to like your action. I can still love you. But you can't do that if you're not connected from the heart to the tree of life and you're confused because you're connected with the mind from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So how did I get back? How do we get back? Took another tree. The second tree of life. The Bible's full of symbolism. God had a crown of thorns on his head. You know what the thorn represents in the Bible? The curse. Because if you're not living under the blessing, you're living under the 
It's only one thing or the other. My whole life, you're either a target or an asset. I didn't know any different. In actuality, in Bible, you're in the word. You're living under the blessing of the curse. When they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they severed the communication and they became under the curse. And God sent his only son. He was crucified at Golgotha, the skull. He had a crown of thorns around his head. God was saying, don't listen to the intellect, which is where the curse is. Go to the heart, which is where life is. So he died and rose again. It's cool. And we understand that. Because Jesus didn't come to show me what a holy life was like. He came to make me holy through his death. And the only way I can put him back in me and communicate again is to get me out of me. I got to get out of here and let him get in here. You have to die to yourself. Look, I'm, I'm a surgeon. I trained at Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas, UT Southwestern. It's one of the busiest programs in the country. And when I was a general surgery resident there, I, I was driven for the most part of my life with this massive ego, which was ridiculous and stupid. And I'm humiliated to tell you, but I, I have to show you my scars so you can see him. And so when I got into this residency program, it was the number one program in the country. I really wanted to go there. I got in and my friends were like, you're nuts. They're, you're not going to have any time. They're going to crush you. And I'm like, that's right. That's how you learn. I knew enough to know that I wanted to be busy, but I also wanted to be under maximum stress because I thought it would be cool. Because Not because I was leaning on God, but I was leaning on this really stupid ego. So I'm a doctor, and you start July 1st, my intern year. And it's July 3rd, doctor day three. I've been an MD all of three days. And at Parkland Hospital, it's like three years. I mean, I had blood in places you shouldn't have blood. I didn't leave the hospital. And on day three, that was my first night on trauma call because I was on trauma three. So I'm Dr. Day three on trauma call. Saturday night, July 3rd, Dallas, Texas. South Dallas, Texas. So I'm there and, you know, there's a certain kind of bravado at Parkland Residence. They used to have a show called 48 Hours where they'd have Parkland Residence on it because we would always get beat up and it was fun. And so I don't want to show weakness because my ego... And so there was me, a second year, a third year, and a chief, and a faculty. And the second, third year, and faculty were all upstairs operating because we had 28 gunshot wounds come in with 25, at least two components, meaning more than one place they got shot. So I'm the intern, Dr. Day 3. Does this make you feel better when you're at the hospital? I'm in the ER. And a guy comes in with another gunshot wound. And he comes in handcuffed to the bed. And he's part of the Mexican mafia. To explain that to you in Texas, like MS-13 on steroids. And he's got tattoos everywhere, and he's got a bullet hole bleeding and one that's not. And he's threatening to kill everyone in the ER. You know, he's cussing at everyone. He's going nuts. And they put him on trauma hall. And the, you know, the old trauma nurse goes, okay, Dr. Rose. And they, you know, they're laughing at us because you've like, been a doctor three days, right? And they're like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, Thinking to myself, well, I don't want him to die, you know. So I know I've got to evaluate this guy. I can't even evaluate him. won't let anyone near me spitting on him, threatening to kill them and their families. Now, I had a plan for this, but it didn't include anything that I wouldn't have been thrown out of the hospital for. So I, I realized I had to go to someone with better knowledge than me, and that would be my chief resident. Now, that really is 
terrible to have to call your chief resident after you've only been there three days. And my chief resident was a legend at Parkland Hospital, Big Mike. Big Mike was a Cuban refugee who came to Miami, played football for the University of Miami. He's 6'6", larger than life, funny as you've ever seen, tough and mean, and sounds just like Tony Montana. And everyone was kind of in awe of Big Mike. Big Mike tolerated me because I had played football at the University of Baylor. So I guess he didn't look at me as like a total nerd or whatever. But I still didn't want to call Big Mike because that's like such a sign of weakness. But I didn't have a choice because I, I want this guy to die. So I call Big Mike and I'm like, hey, Big Mike, this is Keith. Bro, I'm sorry to bother you, but I've got this guy down here and I'm telling him. And all Big Mike says is, okay, man, no problem. I'll be right down. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, that was too easy. He should have like berated me, called me weak, made fun of me. And he said he'd be right down. So in the back of my mind, because I've always had this sixth sense, I'm thinking something's not right here. But so I'm down there. This guy's in the room. The nurses aren't going in there because no one wants to get spit on. Big Mike comes down and he kind of peeks in the room, comes over. Okay, come on, come here for a second, okay? He goes, I'm going to help you. We're going to fix this guy. And I go, Awesome. And he's like, so I'm thinking, pearls, wisdom, this guy's going to download on me. And he goes, the way you fix this guy is you've got to kill him. <laughs> now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I really don't want to kill a patient on doctor day three. Because I'm thinking to myself, he's got to be joking. It's not, I, said, I said, what, man? And he goes, no, the only way you're going to get this guy to ever settle down, man, is you've got to kill him. <laughs> now, <laughs> as I'm thinking, well, maybe he's joking. He's not serious. I'm not going like, to murder the guy. But this is Big Mike, and he's got stories. So I'm like, but I don't want to show weakness. So I'm like, yeah, let's kill him. You know, and, and in my mind, I'm like a little girl going, oh, it's not going to be good. But on the outside, I'm like, yeah, walking by the nurse, we're going to kill this guy. You know, <laughs> I have no idea what we're doing. So Mike walks in the room, and the trauma room's right here. You know, you got the stretcher, and Mike gets a big swath so he can't be spit on, and this guy's running out of saliva because he's bleeding. And he looks at Mike and goes, I'll kill you. I don't care about you. I'll kill your family. Mike just ignores him, walks around to the crash cart. Anyone in here do anything medically? You might understand this. So he goes to the crash cart and he pulls out a medication, a little vial of medicine, puts a syringe in it, draws it up. And I'm kind of looking at the medication and I'm looking over his shoulder and I'm thinking, he's going to kill the patient. <laughs> and then for the first time in my life, I'm like praying in the hospital, like, God, please, I really want to be Dr. Day Four and I'm not making it. I may go to prison. Because Mike is like, the guy's cussing at Mike. Mike looks at me and goes, he has no idea, man. <laughs> He's chawing it up. And he walks behind the guy, pulls the IV back, because the guy had an IV from the paramedics, injects the guy with succinylcholine. It's a paralytic. A very fast-acting paralytic. Theoretically, you could use it to induce a fake heart attack and kill someone. I've never heard of that, but... Later in life, I might have. And, but I didn't understand that then. And so all I know is he's going to kill the guy because if you hit him with sucks, it's what people do when they're intubated, they want to intubate a tough patient. It will paralyze every muscle in your body. But your brain works just fine. 
You can see, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste. You just can't move, including breathe. So Mike gives some calling to this guy. It takes about 30 seconds for it to work, and then you shake like, you know, you have what they call fasciculation. So this guy, he hits him, and I'm thinking, no, he's joking. He's not really. And then the guy fasciculates, and Mike's like, yo, Keith, look, man. This guy looks like an epileptic, huh? That's funny. I'm like, no, it's not funny. He's going to die, you know. So I'm thinking, now there's got to be more to this. So he goes, no, man, you don't understand. This guy will never get better till he dies. So the guy fasciculates, and he's not moving. Now, I'm kind of frozen because I'm really like, I'm screwed. I really like being a doctor for those three days. I'm not sure I can get a job doing anything else. I've been in school a long time. And Mike walks over to the patient, looks at him and goes, Keith, come, come here for a second, okay? I'm like, my bravado's not quite as good. I wasn't Conan McGregor or anything, but I was still trying to strut. And I walk over there and he goes, Look at this guy, man. See? No, he can't breathe. He's got no oxygen. And you see? Oh, look. He's turning blue. <laughs> ah, he's getting a little purple. You know, this guy looks like a Mexican Smurf. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, it's funny, but not really, because he's going to die. And so he slowly, I mean, not even breaking stride, walks back, gets the Ambu bag that you're gonna, you can put on the guy's mouth to help ventilate him. So I'm kind of, my heart's slowing down to about 190. And he turns on the oxygen, he walks over, puts it on this guy, and he starts bagging. And slowly goes from purple to blue to pink. And I realize I'm going to make it to Dr. Day 4. And he, and he breathes him up, and then he leans down to this guy. And I mean, he gets right in his face. Now, this guy is still paralyzed. You know, and he just died. And he gets right down in his face and he goes, listen up, buddy. Now, in full disclosure, because we're in a church and I want to lie, he didn't say buddy. In military jargon, he said Mike Foxtrot. But he said, listen up, buddy. He goes, people die at Parkland every day and no one cares. He goes, he turned to me, he goes, he'll be, good. He'll be your best patient. Walks out. And, this, and so I'm bagging him until the stuff wears off about five minutes later, and he was my best patient. All I had to do was kill him. God wants us to die to ourselves so that he can come in and make things right. Because he wants to make me holy by his death, but he needs my best death too. He needs to transfer or transform me. See, when I die to myself, then I can make moral choices because I'm not making those choices anymore. And when you make moral choices, you develop something we call character. Why do you think our founding fathers talk so much about morality? In the Bible it says, unrighteousness suppresses the truth. The word for unrighteousness is just another word for morality. Immorality suppresses the truth. That's how you get the 1619 Project. That's how you get people staying in their homes so afraid of their own shadows because they're living in the land of good and bad and they can't see truth. Alexander de Tocqueville, the famous French historian who came to this country to write a book and understand why after our revolution, 
We birthed the greatest, most freest, most prosperous country in the world. And after the French Revolution, just everyone lost their heads, literally. He wanted to know. And he wrote a, pass, wrote a thing in there and he says, America is great because America is good. They have laws that tell them what they can do. And they have morals that tell them what they can't. Now that sounds good, but it worked out because men of faith and men that were dead to themselves and alive to Christ that founded this nation understood that they didn't have to be perfect, but they had to be dead. And when God has that, he can work with that and he can make the impossible really possible. I mean, we look at things and think, there's no way that can happen. God looks at it and goes, it's ridiculously simple. All you have to do is die. If you want to fix things in your marriage, in your life, in your relationship with your kids, die. Because when you die, it's not just that simple step. Christ comes in and then you start reflecting him. I can promise you, there's not a person in here that would want to be around me 12, 10 years ago. Not 12 years ago. You just wouldn't. There wasn't enough room for you and me. But Christ in me will let me stand up on a stage when I have no idea what I'm saying and lay it all out like I'm a real PO, not a good person. And um, he can let the Holy Spirit then move and go to you. Because you see, when they lost that communication, what do you think our communication with God comes from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves through Christ in me sitting at the right hand of God. I got a direct line. That's my lifeline. Can you imagine the power of God? Okay, what's the opposite of God? No. The opposite of God is nothing. There's no opposite of God. Satan doesn't even rise to the level of an archangel. He's down here. And, but I would always say Satan too. So don't, don't laugh. The first time I heard that, I said the same thing. Satan. No. And I was like, a lot of demons. They're like, no. Because there's no opposite of God. You know, when I was overseas, I, I worked, I had what we call uh, cover for status. And so they'd say, well, get a card. I'm like, I don't get a card. What does it say? So I just had my name and on the back it said country doctor. Because I never knew which country I was in. But I can only imagine God's business card. Hi, God. Can I see your business card? I am. I am can handle it. Satan doesn't even rise to an archangel. So why does he have so much power? He only has the power we give him when we choose to run our lives, live in our heads in the land of good and bad. Where he can tell us what's good. He can tell us what's bad. And all we have to do is go, yeah, I'm going to die to that. Christ comes in me and I'm eating from the tree of life. And I overcome with Christ in me. We have a nation that is dying because we have become victims. Bad is good, good is bad. You know what happens when you become a victim? It gives you the right to rebel. And a lot of us living in the land of good and bad get inside ourselves and we get into what I call butt theology. Now a plastic surgeon, it doesn't mean what you think. 
But theology is, I'm a Christian, but you don't know what they did to me. I'm a Christian, but I can forgive pretty much anything, but we have a nation of people that are pre-offended. They're already pre-offended. My wife, probably like a lot of women, are pre-shopped. They get in the right store, the right cell, and they come alive. It's just in their DNA. We have a nation that's pre-offended. They're looking for something to be offended at. And then they become a victim. They live under condemnation instead of conviction. Because condemnation will paralyze me. And I can feel sorry for myself and I can become a victim. And when I'm a victim, then I'm not responsible because I have the right to rebel. So I can burn down buildings. I can work in the DOJ and lie about stuff. I cannot do the job the government pays me for, but do the job I'm victimized for. I can lie. My children can lie. They can take money. We're victims. We're owed. If I'm dead to myself, then I'm not owed anything. I just owe everything to the guy that freed me. If you're a son and a daughter, you know what you can't be? A slave. Because the opposite of a son and a daughter is a slave and an orphan. And God doesn't call us to that. I want to encourage parents. Glorified parents, glorified kids. Demonized parents, demonized kids. Now, it doesn't mean your kids are going to be perfect. You have to wait sometimes, sometimes 42 years. And notice I didn't say Christian parents. I said glorified parents. How do we get glorified? Christ in me reflects because God's the image maker. He can make someone so bad as me where you'll actually listen, which is weird. I told someone that. He goes, no, it's not weird. It's wholly weird. But what he has is he's got this in you. You guys are special. Now, people used to ask me, are you in special forces? And we always deflect. And I was like, no, I'm in, you know, the real special group, the one that rides the short bus. You know, because you don't want people to think anything. And when I say you're special, I mean you're special because Christ in you is because you wouldn't be here any other reason. Now, you've got your issues because Satan wants to choke out Christ in you with the cares of this world. That's why God says, cast them on him, right? You know what cast means? It means to throw like a spear on him. You can't weigh him down too much. Because Christ in you will take care of it. Now, I will tell you, I'm going to go back to the original thing I said. It's a bad shape we're in. Kind of like the founding fathers when they were going up against the greatest army in the world. With a remnant. Less than 3% of the population. But they had a secret weapon. They had Christ in them. See, Christ will do for you what you can't do for yourself. Christ will heal that relationship with your son when you allow him to come into your life, with your daughter, when you allow him to come into your life and you become the contrast. Why are people here at this church for Rob McCoy? Because Rob McCoy is the contrast. The entire state shuts down. Rob says, no, we follow the Lord. He was a contrast and now you can't fit everybody in this building. If you become the contrast in your life and whatever you do in your family, in your marriage, people will want to be like you, not you, Christ in you. I mean, think about it. 
That's how you change. You're the remnant. And what is the remnant in the Bible? The remnant is what can be replanted. It'll produce life. It doesn't take a lot. Because why are we here? Why Christ in me? Why do I feel joy when I'm with the Lord? I don't feel happiness. I feel joy. It's different. I feel joy from peace. It doesn't mean my life has to be perfect or even easy. But I have a joy because I have Christ in me. I have a direct connection. My Wi-Fi's on. So when you're the remnant, what are we building? Why do we want to save this country? I believe we want to save it because our founding fathers had a covenant with God. I, don't, I can't explain it any other way. They had a covenant. What does covenant mean? It's family. The Bible talks about family a lot. He talks about marriage a lot. He talks about sons and daughters a lot. God sent his son, God the Father. Where was the first miracle in the Bible? It was at a wedding. Why? Someone asked me one day, why do you so against abortion. Well, I'm against abortion because God is a reflection in us. We're bringing God's kingdom. And that's the answer to the question. Why are we here to build God's kingdom? How do we do that? What do you mean? We're going to build a palace? I've been in a lot of palaces. They're cool and they're cold and they're empty. Most of them. He wants us to build the kingdom. Who's the kingdom? We are. He says the kingdom is in you in the Bible. So how do I build God's kingdom? I reflect God. The remnant's not a big number. If I'm reflecting Christ, if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm going to build his kingdom here. Well, if I'm killing babies, then I can't build his kingdom because who's going to reflect God? I have a lot of friends in the LGBTQT whatever community. I love them. I hate their sin. And they're like, well, why don't you support marriage? I go, because you can't procreate. You can't build God's kingdom because you can't reflect. God wants to be glorified in us and our lives. But he can't do it if we're not here. It's Christ in me. My job is not to make people understand good and bad. I don't judge. That's God's. He's really good at it. My job is to them seeing Christ in me. I can show them love. I don't have to agree with the sin to love the sinner. But I have to speak truth. If you want to change the United States of America in 2021, you're going to stand up and you're going to speak truth. But it really won't be you. It'll be Christ in you. And there's no shame in it. Because it's not a wound. It's a scar. We don't have to suppress the truth. We have a a country that does so. We have a country that wants moral relativism. They don't want absolute truth. They want cultural truth. And all cultural truth is, make it simple. You're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I live in the world, land of good and bad. A lot of Christians live there. Oh, that's bad. That's good. Satan loves that. He lets us have the cultural truth. Maybe it's good. Until it's not. Until you have a government that becomes so bad that it says good is bad and bad is good. And the culture says we're going to reflect the government. And absolute truth reflects Christ and the perfect law. 
That's where God wants us. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, which is morality, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want you to see the pattern there. Righteousness, which is morality, peace and joy. You want to have joy in your heart and peace when your marriage or your kids are spinning out? You want to have joy in your heart when your country's spinning out? You want to have joy in your heart when you're locked down by a governor that should be in Alcatraz? Morality, righteousness, joy. It goes back to the beginning. If I'm living moral choices based on Christ that's in me, he can speak through me and I can have his righteousness and then I have joy. I was in a really bad marriage. I was in such a bad marriage that I would rather take on the worst assignments on the planet than go home. Literally, they would go, Hey, um, you know, we want you to do this, but it's pretty dicey. It's just not, I'll do it. They thought I was brave. I didn't want to go home. I had no joy. Because I listened to what the world says. I equated happiness. Happiness is, oh, I'm being good. I'm happy. Now, you can have happiness if you have joy. But happiness is, is temporal. Joy is permanent. My mom is always happy, always has joy. If you ever get around her, it'll blow your mind. And if you had me as a son, you would go, there's no way she could be like that. I'm going to tell you how bad I was. When I started dating Erica, my parents said, we don't want to meet her. Because we know you. But I had so much peace because I had forsaked all that I respected my parents. And six months later, they called me and said, we really want to meet Erica because we don't know who you are. And I was like, not me, dad, Christ in me. Think about it. So how do we get there? Say it. Forsake all. Forsake all. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I mean, like that little Disney thing, let it go. I mean, <laughs> let it go. And let God come in. And if you forsake all, I promise you, he'll give you more than you ever dreamed. My career took off when I forsaked all way more than it ever had before. I just didn't care because I knew it wasn't me. If you want to follow God, you will be on the wildest ride of your life. You want to forsake all? You want to let the Holy Spirit shoot through your heart and you let God take over where he's shooting heart, soul, mind? Imagine that all the time. It's cool. If you do that, if you forsake all, and that means your past, you give it to him. Your past isn't your prophecy. God talks about in 139, he knows your story. It's written in a book. It's predetermined, not predestination. And it's predetermined if we forsake all, let God come in and put us back on the path that he had for us, that he predetermined if we forsake all and let Christ in me work. So he is predetermined in the United States of America, I believe, that there could be another awakening. But we have to forsake all, even a remnant And we will reflect Christ so bright, it'll change things. And it doesn't matter what the odds. I literally, the other morning was like, Lord, this is impossible. And then I heard the laughing again. He's like, yeah, that's why I show up. 
He doesn't show up when we're strong. He shows up when we're weak. So if you want to be a Christ follower and you want to have him shine in you, you're going to see the most amazing things. You just won't take credit for it. It's like being a, a spectator in life at the most amazing stuff, but you have to move. There's nothing static in the Christian world and, and following Christ. It's all kinetic. He moves when we, he moves when I move. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, 1 John 1, 7. Because many of us walk in the light means walking according to a standard we set up for another person. My thoughts, my, even believers say it, what I think of good and evil. I live in that land, or I did. And the deadliest attitude of a Pharisee, that which we exhibit today is not hypocrisy, but it comes from unconsciously, listen, living the lie. We're unconscious about it. Satan wants to keep us unconscious about it. He doesn't want us to understand it. He just wants to get you out of your purpose. If he can get you out of your purpose, then we can live in the most unfree nation in the world. But I don't believe that's gonna happen. So my challenge to you today is die. It's simple. And it's hard. But the benefits far outweigh the sacrifice. So if you're sitting there today and you're wondering, man, what what does this all mean? Ask God. I've got a 17-year-old son that prays for dreams and wonders. He's 6'5". And if you told me he was going to do that, I would have laughed at you. But God shook him because he forsaked all. He's the happiest. They're twins. They're so happy. They're huge. They eat everything. But (laughs) they forsaked all. And as a parent, there's nothing cooler than watching your kids flame on. Now, our kids aren't perfect, and we've got some that have walked away. But we're praying like my mom did, that they turn back. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you that we could be here today. Lord, I just thank you for your promises that are written in the book of life, and they are immutable. Lord, I pray that each person in here forsakes all that they hear the Holy Spirit stirring in their heart, that they go home and they have dreams, they see signs and wonders because, Lord, these people here today are the remnant and that's what you're putting on my heart. They are your warriors, Lord. Wherever they work, whatever their vocation is, their heart is yours. And I just pray your blessings over them, that they live in the blessings, not the curse. And they're a reflection of you to a city and a state and a nation that is lost. In Jesus' name.